A reading from Acts, chapter 6. Chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was and a man lame from birth was being carried in. People would lay him daily at the gate of the temple called the beautiful gate, so that he could ask for alms from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. Peter looked intently at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive expected to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Jumping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And the and all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as one who used to sit and ask alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Grace and peace to you from God our Creator, from our Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit, the one who is present wherever you are and certainly here with us on this day. So I'll just give you the bookends. This sermon begins and ends at a dining room table. And we also will end our uh, worship service today at a dining room table of sorts in our Holy Communion. So about a week ago, my brother's family came over to my house for dinner. On the surface, it was just a meal. I made fajitas and we sat around the table and ate as we had done many times before. But I mean to tell you that this time it was just a little bit more than a meal. And the backstory on this was this. Their family's air conditioning went out at the height of this little heat wave we've been having. And so they've been kind of like running fans and opening windows as much as possible and I think eating out and not cooking at home much. And I said, why don't you come over and I'll crank down the air conditioner a few ticks, we'll watch a movie, we'll eat dinner. And as we sat around the table, there was just sort of this lift in spirit. I think everybody had been just a bit weary from all of that heat, a little prickly with each other maybe. And during our meal, there was just jokes and smiles and laughter, and it was really wonderful. The joy at that dinner just sort of felt like this joy we're talking about. I mean, they were going back to their home without the air conditioning, but for those moments, there was a lift among us. 
As we think about these fruits of the Spirit this whole summer long, and today specifically, we turn to this one of joy, we're remembering that Jesus asked his followers to bear fruit in the world. Now, not literally uh, grow apples and oranges in your backyard and sell them at the farmer's market. Nope. To bear this good fruit, fruit that means something to our own lives and to the lives of our neighbors around us. We are to grow the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. So last week we talked about love. We said that in many ways it's the most important. All the others come from love. And today we're talking about joy. And it feels really joyful to read this story of healing, to think about a man leaping and dancing and praising God. And if you can imagine a family full of joy after 10 days without air conditioning, you can probably imagine a man, lame from birth, being able to now leap and dance and rejoice, and not just be joyful about a healed body, but to turn that into praise to God, to give thanks to God for what has happened. Now the story there says that those who were witness to this were filled with amazement and wonder. And I think that's what this joy that we are called to bear in the world is like. It is a bit contagious. Shakespeare said that joy delights in joy. And certainly that is the case here. When we are witness to pure joy, maybe it's just throwing balloons up in the air, we sort of want to reach out and help too. We can't help but stand in wonder and awe. The kind of joy that we are talking about, the, the one that Paul names in the reading from Galatians of the fruit of the Spirit, now this is different than happiness. Happiness is about our, our current circumstances, what is happening right now within and around us. We are happy when something undesirable is absent, right? Like pain or suffering or disappointment. Joy is, is quite different than that. Joy is not about the absence of something undesirable. It is about the presence of something desirable, namely God. So joy is this sort of deep contentment, a trust that God is with us even in the bad times, right? In good or bad, God is present with us and God is desirable. Joy can be experienced um, even when we are not happy, about our current situation. Now, I think probably one of the biggest threats to the followers of Jesus, like you and I, producing this kind of fruit of joy in our world today is this little lie that we are told day after day that perhaps a certain product or a certain wonderful experience or maybe a program or a diet or an exercise is really what we desire, right? It will make us happy. You know that uh, sales and marketing departments really depend on that idea. 
that you will see this product or this program or this thing, and they can convince you that you will be happier, more satisfied, more truly fulfilled if you purchase that, what they are selling. They hope to convince you that they can take away your pain or your suffering or your disappointment. And there is this underlying belief in our culture today that we should crave more, want more, that new and different is better, that your every desire fulfilled could lead you to a place of true joy and contentment. Now, I don't want you to hear me saying that the Christian way of cultivating the fruit of joy is to deny yourself any and every pleasure or um, thing that we might buy to enjoy together. I want to say that we should, as people of faith, sort of examine the source of that joy. Is it bringing us this sort of status we desire? Or is it allowing us to truly experience uh, the goodness of God's creation? So let's just say you bought a brand new car. I mean, it's the exact car you've been wanting and waiting for, and it has all the little extra whistles and bells that, that you were hoping for. So as you drive that car off the lot, you're thinking, oh, I'm so full of joy. Is this the joy of the Spirit? So you might ask yourself a few questions. Does this car define my worth in the world? Does it define my worth in the world? Will it garner you respect from your neighbors or in-laws or co-workers? Does it show people the fruit that you were created to bear? As, as we examine these things, we go, well, I'm, I'm joyful because this is fun and this is a good thing to do, but my worth with or without this car is because I am a child of God and not because of this new thing. Now, I'm trying to over-exaggerate a point here. It could be a car, it could be a wardrobe, it could be a job or a home or vacations or any number of things. We often sort of try to find our true worth in things or status or accumulation. Other, and then we forget that true worth comes from God. And doing this sort of sucks the life out of us every single time. Our worth is not contingent upon our ability to produce or market an acceptable image of ourselves for others to see. Our worth comes from a God who loves us, a community that claims us, a connection to something bigger than ourselves in serving in our world. When we find contentment in that, we find this deep and abiding kind of joy that is the fruit of the Spirit. Many centuries ago, St. Augustine wrote this, you have created us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That might be a prayer we pray. My heart is restless until I find rest in you. I just want to give you a little image here. As human beings, I think uh, we can imagine a line. Like there's this long line from one end here to the other. And at one end of that line, um, you 
might have this sort of idea of insatiable desire, right? Here are the things I want, the vacations I want to take, all the list of things. And then on the other end of that line over here is this sort of sense of heartfelt gratitude. Now, that line is a continuum. So if I were to ask you, like, where are you landing on that line? <laughs> insatiable desire or heartfelt gratitude. And I'll just tell you that any given day and maybe any given hour of the day, I might be in a different spot on that line. And I think this is a little bit the dance we do as people of faith or the tension that we have as people of faith. The things we want and the heartfelt gratitude we owe to our God. Our ability to bear fruit in this world, I think, is much more profound and much more noticed in the world when we are veering toward the sign of heartfelt gratitude. I think our ability to share joy is much more profound and much more seen in our world when we are leaning toward heartfelt gratitude. Now, I think that the Christian church has gotten this wrong a few times in its history. Because I think there has been this message that if you have Jesus in your heart, you're going to be joyful and happy all the time. That everything good and happy and positive will happen in your life. People's true experiences of pain and suffering and loss uh, or disappointment have sometimes been overlooked or uh, dismissed maybe as a lack of faith. I mean, this is at best unfortunate, and at worst, it is deeply wounding, and it, it turns people off. Nobody wants to hear about what's hard in my life. They want me to just have faith and joy. So I want to repeat what I said earlier. Joy is not the, about the absence of something undesirable. It is about the presence of God in the midst of what may be undesirable. In those moments of pain, God promises to be with us. So even in suffering, humanity, and, and maybe many of you specifically, have been known to experience joy. I'll tell you just a little story um, where I can attest to this, that even in moments of sadness, you can feel a kind of joy deep inside. One of my most memorable experiences of this came in some of the moments following uh, one of my grandma's funerals. We were sad, we were heartbroken, and we were feeling the loss. And we sat in her apartment after the funeral and the lunch and the burial and after everybody else had sort of gone home, except for just a few of us. And as we sat at that table, someone said, I bet Dorothy has apple pie in the freezer. She was known to bake homemade apple pie, and so we opened the freezer, and there it was, an apple pie and vanilla ice cream with it. And so they stuck the pie in the oven, and we sat around her dining room table eating her pie that she had made for us. And we laughed, and we told stories about her and her love for us and our love for her. It didn't take away our pain, right? It didn't take away the pain or the loss but it allowed us to feel like maybe God was there, that there could be joy among us. So today, as you think about 
cultivating this gift of fruit of joy in your life in both big and small ways, in days of pure delight and maybe even in moments you'd rather erase or do over. May this kind of joy be stirred up in you. May it remind you of the God who loves you. May it turn you to this notion of heartfelt gratitude. And it may help you to experience hope for the, the joy of the world around you. Do you know that after many long years in exile, Isaiah reminded God's people of God's promise. It's a reminder to us, too, that in the presence of God, there shall be joy. Isaiah wrote, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come into Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. For this good news, we say, thanks be to God.